Hello everyone and welcome back for another week of Tales from the Tailgate. My name is Rob Christian, joined with me, joining with me today, Alex Christian, Auburn Matt. We do not have Bo Parker this week, our legal consultant, is off doing some law stuff, which I'm sure will come in handy in the near future, but we do have a special guest to replace him today, joining us for the first time, maybe the biggest Dolphins fan I have ever met is going to come in and join us and talk about the NFL draft, which is only one week away, and I'm going to let Alex do the rest of the introduction for him, but everyone please welcome Mr. Rustin Lejean. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Uh Joining us today, the man, the myth, the legend, LSU Tiger, former employee of the New Orleans Saints, writer, football connoisseur, Dan Marino aficionado, <laughs> Cousin Russ from Louisiana. Everybody, round of applause for Cousin Russ. Hey. Gentlemen, my pleasure uh, to be here with you this afternoon. It's a beautiful day here in South Louisiana. That was a hell of an intro. I appreciate it. I hope uh, hope um, I can live up to the, to the billing. So uh, we'll see what I, can, what I can do. I'm just looking to have a little fun. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, so this yeah, is speaking of fun. Yeah, it's been a long time in the making, Rob. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. And, yeah, and speaking of fun, we've had some uh, we've had some interesting spring games come up as we look forward to college football. Uh, Rustin, tell me what do you see out there with LSU in the Miles Brennan era? Well, uh, okay, if, if you want me to lead off with the LSU perspective from uh, from the spring game this past weekend, uh, you may have just um, set a misnomer. It may not be the Miles Brennan era. Uh, it seems to me right now, now it may be different behind the scenes with the coaches, but the, the, uh, the, the um, message they're putting out there and what seems to be the consensus is we have an open battle right now. Um, it seems to be almost like uh, – there's there's a faction in the fan base. There seems to be a, a team Brennan and a team Max Johnson. And if, if for those of you that don't know, Max Johnson is the son of Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson with the Buccaneers, and he's got his dad's genes. Six four, two twenty. You know, uh, good looking, good looking passer. Uh, he's very calm in the pocket. Doesn't have the the laser rocket arm, uh, but he's accurate. And he's got he's got good touch, um, and you can see that on display in the spring game. Now, even when Joe Burrow was LSU's quarterback back in 2019, 2018, and 2019, it was clearly evident Miles Brennan had the superior arm talent. The guy's got zip. I mean, he's got some serious zip, and he can he can uh, thread a needle and, and put the ball anywhere it needs to be. The thing with Miles is he's not very athletic. Uh, he he looks a little timid sometimes when the, when the pocket breaks down and the pressure comes in, and that's an aspect that Max has over him in spades. Uh, so each of them have their positives. Each of them have a little bit of of a, of a drawback. But honestly, uh, the, you know it, it's going to be a good competition to see where it goes in the fall camp. But uh, more importantly, to make both of them comfortable is this offensive line has to improve from what we saw last year. Um, I think Joe Burrow made them look a little better than they actually really were in 2019 uh, with, with his master escapability and, and his, uh, his finesse in the pocket. 
Um, the good news is we do have all five returning starters coming back from last year on the offensive line. So the experience is there. If they're going to improve, that's, that's going to be remain, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, they definitely have to be better in pass flow, especially on the right side of the offensive line with Deculus and Jason Hines. But that's kind of where Max Johnson benefits uh, over over uh, over Miles Brennan because he's got that escapability. He's got a little bit of that magic touch, not quite like Joe Burrow did, but he's got some of that in him. So we'll see where that competition goes. Um, you know, I never have to tell you about LSU's perimeter weapons. I never have to tell you about the running backs. It's always upper echelon. So it's going to be uh, quarterback stability and offensive line development. That'll be the determining factor if LSU is a 10-11 win team, the 10-11 game uh, uh, winner this year, or if they win 8 or 9. So we will see, and it'll be fun to watch. I had no idea that was Brad Johnson's kid. Yeah. Brad John- it's Brad Johnson's kid, and his brother, Brad Johnson's other kid, his brother, Max um, um, Jake Johnson, is the number one tight end in the country uh, who just committed to us as well. He, uh, we're hoping he can become our own little Gronkowski. And what's, we'll have the, what's the Johnson to Johnson uh, connection. What's going on with that tight end that was transferring to, I think it was Florida, and then he wasn't yeah. transferring and he might be going back to LSU? Yeah, Alec Gilbert. So Alec Gilbert, um, you know, they're keeping that whole – situation tight uh close to the vest they don't want to impede on this kid's privacy uh on on what really is going on behind the scenes i've heard numerous you know uh, um rumors i don't want to speculate on something that i'm not 100 percent positive on i think he's just got a little bit of a troubled background Uh, i don't think he's a, a bad person you know he's a young kid um he he opted out because he may have had some psychological issues um but the thing is, is when, when he opted out, you know, a lot of the fan base turned on him, which because people out there don't really know the facts, everybody likes to knee jerk and jump to conclusions. And he was looking for the quickest possibility to, to uh, play still at a power five school. And he was going to transfer to Florida after going to the transfer portal. However, uh, I don't think the grade situation worked out there. So, what they're doing right now is they're trying to get get him on a strict regimen uh, to get his grades back up and possibly rejoin the team, um, you know, for this upcoming year. We'll see if that happens. If it does and he can, you know, get his 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 ducks in a row, great. It's another awesome weapon. Uh, if not, you know, uh, you know, we'll 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 see how the tight end position goes. But uh, but yeah, he's he's a heck of a talent, and even even more so for the personal side for the kid. You know, I hope he gets uh, his life in order and, and, and can can uh, get everything straight because for him personally, you know, he's a, an NFL day one starter. He's that kind of talent. I mean, I think when you were looking at rivals in 247, he was the highest rated tight end ever over O.J. Howard, over Rob Gronkowski, all of them. He was, he was rated in their system higher than both of those guys, all of them, over David Njoku. So, um you know, he, he's, he's an NFL talent right now as a, as a sophomore. So I hope he can get his, his uh, issues in order so that way he doesn't have to, you know, go the JUCO route and all that, and he can have a successful future in football because he's fun to watch. 
so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. We should have more clarity on that situation in the fall. Definitely. Man, I, I love talking LSU football with this. I, I, we need to get Rustin on more often. I like this a lot. I mean, we could just talk Ole Miss and LSU the whole time for all I care. Sorry, Man, I love, I love SEC football. It's, it's so much fun. It's Saturdays in the fall. I can't wait till things get back to normal. I'm so ready. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Auburn people. We could just make this Ole Miss and LSU, but Ole Miss, LSU, and Auburn is not a bad mix at all, all in the West. West is the best. Alex, speaking of Auburn, you all had your spring game last week. Uh, was that last week or two weeks ago? And uh, Ole Miss is coming up uh, this Saturday as part of a big weekend, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, Alex, I know that you weren't too thrilled with the performance in your spring game. Uh, you said that you didn't even want to watch it, and then you watched it twice. A little, little confused about that. Uh, but you said your team was fast, at least. Uh, you know, other, That's about every time I've talked to you, that's you know the only thing that you told me. I haven't watched your spring game. Uh, I've seen some highlights of the LSU uh, spring game, but not really a whole lot from Auburn. Uh, take us a little bit into what else you saw from uh, – you didn't seem too thrilled. No, I wasn't, and I'm I'm not. The one thing that I am thrilled about is that we look like a track team. The bad part about looking like a track team means you can't catch the damn ball. Um, we had we had a lot of problems there. Um, running back is a strength. We knew that was going to be the case with Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers. Uh, they both looked like they were in regular season form early. Bo Nix did not. Uh, none of the quarterbacks looked like they were in sync with wide receivers. I was enthused by seeing, you know, Bo go under center, see two tight end and even three tight end sets at a single point there. It was completely different than what we saw in the Gus Malzahn era. And that's why I'm trying to temper myself and say, I, I cannot put too much into this. The Brian Harson era is starting. And we're starting to see a Mike Bobo offense come into existence. And what that's going to look like in September is not what it's going to look like in April. Defense way ahead of the offense right now, swarming to the ball. I think the defense is going to be completely fine. I have no clue what the offense is going to do, but I think the return game is going to be fine. And defensively, we're just fast. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's a pretty thing to watch when you see guys swarming to the football. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It's it's April, and I have to not overreact. And I keep telling myself that. But the quarterback position is a very, very big question mark right now. There's the Bonix supporters. I mean, that will ride and die with Bonix. I, I mean, I saw people talking about how Bonix is going to win a Heisman this past week, even. And then, you know, there's the people who I think look at it a little more realistically, and I don't really think... That... What game did they watch? What game did they watch? I mean, I don't think, think Bo, Bo Nix is ever going to come close to... They probably watched Bo Nix against Bo Pelini's secondary last year. That actually, yeah. yeah. If they watched the LSU game from last year, they might believe it. Outside of that, look at the South Carolina game. Look at the Florida game that we were at. Uh, there were a lot of issues in, in, in Bo Nix's past. Well, that, I get nightmares in Florida games sometimes. Sorry, my audio was messed up a minute ago, but yeah. 
bad. That, that Florida game was his first road start, wasn't it? It was. It was, and that's why I wrote that off. But then he goes and lays an egg against South Carolina last year, a losing football team who sucked cowballs by all intents and purposes. And we did nothing. All the weapons, all the talent couldn't produce anything in that. It's the eggs that he lays in big games, but everybody goes back to the LSU game. Everybody goes back to his first ever start as a true freshman week one against Oregon and coming back and winning that game, looking like a superhero on that last drive, completing the touchdown pass to Seth Williams. You know, there were there are moments, there are these flashes of brilliance, but then it goes off the rails. So it's the inconsistency. And, you know, to Russell's point with LSU, it's all about quarterback stability. Right now, we don't have that. So until that's fixed, because in that in the spring game, once again, his downfall was passes over 10 yards. Couldn't complete them. He had an average completion of less than 10 yards in the spring game. Come on. We've got to what these people do in the offseason. What do these guys do in the offseason? Do they just not, like, train at all or what? I mean, it's kind of strange. You're on scholarship. You're playing big boy football. You got to make it happen or just find, they'll find somebody else. I, you know, coming, coming from an LSU perspective, I, I'm, I, I'm pulling for both. And I'm not saying this sarcastically. Don't think I'm saying that. They're like, oh, man, I'm an Auburn fan. I'm pulling for both Lini. Yeah, it's like a, that's like a, 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 a gerbil pulling from a python, right? So I'm not saying it from that perspective, but from, from an LSU fan perspective, I like Bo Nix personally. I think he's a good kid. I think he is tough as nails. Mm-hmm. I think he is gritty. And if, if it's third and six, he's going to find a way to run for six and a half yards and get the first down. I, I'm expecting a little bit maybe of a transition going from the high school-oriented Gus Malzahn offense to Brian Harson's system. So there may be a little bit of a learning curve there. So I'm I'm hoping that once that that whole offense is installed and he has a little bit of experience that he can be more successful because I like the kid. I really do. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out, but uh, I'm, I'm personally from a personal level, I'm pulling for him outside of one game a year. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Someone that I, I want to like so much and I do like Bo Nix and of course the tie to Pat Nix, but yeah, he, he makes it he makes it hard sometimes, but I'm excited to see what it'll be post Gus Malzahn era. I'm not really excited to watch Gus Malzahn ever again. I don't want to watch any UCF game ever, so I think I can pretty safely. He's dead to me. Yeah, I can pretty safely avoid that. I, it doesn't even matter to me that he loves Waffle House. I'm on the Jeff Collins train. He's carrying the Waffle House torch for us over at Georgia Tech, though. But we just talked about LSU football. We talked about. Auburn football, and I can't let us get into any draft uh, talk without at least going over uh, a little bit of baseball. And, you know, lucky us, the day we recorded last week, of course, uh, Carlos Rodon goes out there and throws a no-hitter, and we didn't even really get to talk about it. Uh, I got to watch the end of that. Uh, Had a perfect game going into the ninth, and then he, uh, I think he got the first out, and then he hit the guy in the toe. He looked at that guy as he was walking down the first base like, come on, man, let me have that. But, he still uh, shored up the no-hitter, uh, so great for the Chicago White Sox, great for the South Side. Alex, I know you're a closet Cubs fan. Fuck the Cubs. 
Uh, go Sox. But on the baseball train, it's just so fitting that we actually have Rustin on here today because it's actually the start of the Ole Miss LSU baseball series in Oxford. Uh, that's tonight, uh, Thursday for us. Uh, so actually a little bit after this recording, we're about less than an hour and a half outside from first pitch of that game. And while we were actually getting the recording set up, I got a text from you know my baseball crew that Gunnar Hoagland, our ace, is out for the game. Uh, he woke up a little stiff this morning, so we are not going to have him. That makes me a little bit worried. Mike Bianco is tinkering with the lineup quite a bit. I mean, our injuries have just killed us this year, and I've been avoiding talking the the last three weeks. We've actually lost three series in a row. We lost two series, and we were still a top-10 team. It really shows how strong the SEC West is, but it is a huge weekend in Oxford for Ole Miss sports. We have uh, home baseball against LSU. We have softball at home, and we have the Grove Bowl, our spring game. So we are getting uh, finished up with spring ball just a little bit later than you all are. I'm excited to see Lane Kiffin, year two. I, I'm kind of interested to see in what the Grove Bowl will actually be because the last few years we haven't had enough healthy people ever to actually have an actual spring game. It was just a televised practice, and no one really went. No one really cared about it. Uh, we've got returners on the offensive line, I think four out of five from last year. I mean, Just like Rustin says, um, for LSU, we're always going to have weapons on the outside. Uh, we lost Elijah Moore, so someone's got to fill in for his shoes. We've got some transfers. Coming. I can't wait to draft Elijah Moore on my dynasty team. I cannot wait. And whoever gets him, that's, that is going to be great pick of the draft. I love Elijah he's, Moore. When, he's not falling past pick 12. He's not. Really? I can't wait to take him. I heard, You're damn right he's not, because I'm taking him at nine. Uh, you don't have pick nine, but I digress. What do I have? <laughs> 18? You traded oh, me your first oh, round. God, I, Sean oh, God. Yeah, Deshaun Watson was my ninth. Oh, uh, How have we ever done this That was a year and a half ago. Speaking <laughs> of Deshaun Watson, aren't they, like, investigating him now or something? Yeah. Oh, God, no. We're not going back into that. Maybe that's what uh maybe that's what Bo is off reading about. Must be on the he must be on the Deshaun Watson case. But you know, I'm very excited for for baseball this weekend. It's always a special time uh, for Rustin and I when we play each other in any sport. Uh, I've gone and visited him in Louisiana a few times for Ole Miss LSU. I've gone a few times for Auburn LSU too. Um, yeah, we've watched a few baseball and prior, games and prior together. to young kids. Prior to young kids, I used to make road trips too, but that seems to be few and far between these days. Yeah, we we do have to get Rustin to Oxford at least for a football game or a baseball game. I think the odds of getting him for both are low, but maybe spread out over the years we'll get him. But we have to get him to the Grove and to Swayze at least once. But what are you thinking about the series? I mean, we're beat up. LSU's having a rough year. Uh, Auburn's having an abysmal year, so we'll we'll leave them out of that. I think they have two conference games. Yeah, I just yeah, had not happy about there. But, I mean, we're hurt. We're beat up. We are starting our former Sunday starter who got benched last week for Drew McDaniel, a COVID freshman, uh, Derek Diamond. I mean, he can throw 97. I'm, you know, I'm always excited to see him pitch, but it's going to be interesting to see what he does on a Friday night here. Maybe he can earn that Sunday spot back from Drew McDaniel. They brought him out of the pen last week against Mississippi State. It didn't really work out well. Russell, what are you thinking about the series? I mean, Ole Miss needs a sweep here. We wanted 
10 conference wins going into the turn. We're at the turn. We have nine. And it really shows how important those sweeps were for us against uh, Alabama and Auburn early in the year. But what are your thoughts from the LSU side? I mean, I have to be honest with you. I have not been as in-depth of a uh, more passionate viewer this year um, than in, in previous uh, in previous seasons. Um, but overall, from the 30,000-foot view up above, it doesn't matter if your ace is hurt out for the series. LSU cannot hit the ball. I mean, it's like they're, it's like they're out there swinging with toothpicks. It's really bad. Um, you know, Paul Maneri, who, by the way, in Baton Rouge and within the realms of LSU baseball aficionados, is about as stale as a month-old box of graham crackers. People are so ready to see him move on. And, I was about and, to and ask, to do you think he gets fired? Well, we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what uh, Scott Woodward decides at the end of the year. But I'm sorry, being four and eleven in conference at, for LSU, that's unacceptable. That is severely unacceptable. And I mean, um, like I said, they're just they they can't they can't hit. And and all you need to know is you know the kid leading the team in strikeouts this year, coincidentally, is. Drew Bianco, Mike Bianco's son. Oh, man. So, Paul Maneri announced this week that he's starting again at second base. It's like LSU has gone from competing for conference championships and host, being hosts of super regionals every year to becoming a make-a-wish team so little boy can go play at daddy's ballpark and, you know, play, play in front of his dad and hopefully get a meatball thrown to him again so he can do another backflip. That's just not going to happen. I mean, the team just cannot hit the ball. So I expect Ole Miss to take at least two. Would not be shocked if Ole Miss swept and won all three. I mean, just this past weekend, this past series, I think it was against – let me look this up real quick. Against South Carolina. LSU's last SEC weekend series last weekend was against South Carolina. We got shut up by Sunday pitching. We got shut up by Johnny Holstaff. It's not good. It's not good. So I expect uh, I expect Ole Miss to win at least two. Yeah, Ole Miss, Ole Miss really, really needs it. Uh, I mean, like I said, the importance of those sweeps against Bama and Auburn. Sorry, Auburn people, but um, it it could very easily be. At, I think we were nine and six, and that could have very easily been seven and eight. I'm sure the Drew Bianco thing is going to come into play this week just because that's how the world unfortunately works, but I'm very excited. It really feels like a Friday to me. Uh, I had a rough night last night. I think I killed the majority of a fifth of Maker's Mark because I really had nothing to do. I think it, it threw off my schedule not recording yesterday, so I really just had no idea what to do, and apparently that's what I chose to do. So it really feels like a Friday to me. It was a rough work day, but at least we get some Thursday night baseball. There Tomorrow I'm going to wake up thinking that it's Saturday, but I'm so pumped for this series, LSU Ole Miss. Always a good time. So that's enough baseball talk as much as I want to talk about it you know, all the time. Well, let me, yeah. Just to put a bow tie on that, you know, I, I always love LSU Ole Miss too. It, it's always been a great baseball series. I don't think this one's going to be as good, obviously, because just how weak LSU is offensively this year. Uh, but just to reminisce a little bit, uh, what was it, 2017? The three of us, you, Alex, and myself, we sat 
in the outfield and Greg Dykeman hit that bomb that flew what oh my ten God. feet right by our right by our by our, by our, our face. Yeah, and he we just was, he was taking tree branches yeah. off. So just I have that baseball. Oh, you still do? <laughs> I still have that baseball. It was on my computer at work. So we uh, we went and had a couple of couple of pops at uh, at walk-ons across the street, then walked on over to Alex Box and Dykeman hit that bomb. So just to put it in perspective, Greg Dykeman ain't walking through that door. All right? It's not it's not going to be the same. But yeah, we've had some great series in the past. But I don't look for anything anything to be enthused about for this series if you're an LSU fan. And that's that's what I'll finish with. It seems so weird with the way that the schedule worked this year where it's just a carryover from 2020 where we stopped um, conference play right before, well, we didn't, the weekend before conference play is when the world kind of shut down. So it was really, um, it was two years ago now, 2019, uh, that Ole Miss was actually able to go in and win a series at Alex Box for the first time since the '80s. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. Alex and I, Alex and I were at the last game before the shutdown. Sixty-two oh, yeah. win against South Alabama. We were there, and it was oh, the seventh inning, and our phones, our phones started blowing up that the SEC had suspended all things, and that they would allow the games to finish. But after that, it was over. And at that point. Well, the state of Louisiana, nobody had any clue about COVID. There were no cases. There was nothing. The stadium was wonderful. The people had driven over from West Mississippi to come see the game. They had brought their grandkids that were sitting next to us. It was it was like it was the last time that life was normal. Mm-hmm. I think that I can remember yeah. was that game. You go to Mississippi yeah. right now and watch some baseball, and I'll tell you, life is as normal as it's ever been. And it is great. I love it. I'm already starting for the game tonight. I've got a nice bush latte. I'm about to work on my second bush latte and preparing for this game. So it's a, it's a special occasion. Um, but as much as I want to talk about baseball all day, let's get into a little bit of the NFL draft. NFL draft starting next week. I will actually be in Oxford uh, watching baseball during that, so uh, that's usually where I spend my uh, my drafts. I remember sitting in the outfield uh, when Laramie Tunsil got drafted to the Dolphins, and that whole draft story leading up to it that was that was an amazing day, and we won that game. So uh, always fond memories of watching baseball for the draft. It's a I think a little bit of a unique tradition, but I love it, and I wouldn't rather have it any other way. But Alex and Rustin are really our draft guys here, so I'm going to let them uh, pretty much take over here. I know we want to talk a little bit about the Dolphins. We want to talk about some new Justin Fields developments. I want to know, because I haven't really been looking into it that much, I want to know how John Beck has become this QB guru now, speaking of the Dolphins. So I just saw his name thrown out there like last week, that he's been working with Trey Lance and... Uh, Justin Fields, and that just blew my world. Maybe I'm behind on the times here. But John Beck? <laughs> yeah. Four interceptions in the first half against the Buffalo Bills in the worst half of football I think I've ever seen. And I wrote in my column that my editor called me from San Diego saying, you cannot post this on the internet. That... <laughs> 
the Miami Dolphins offense and John Beck were a walking dumpster fire. They said, you cannot, you cannot write that. This cannot go live. I'm like, okay. So my first half recap went out at the end of the third quarter because I had to rewrite the whole article. I have no idea how anybody thinks that John Beck is a quarterback whisperer. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he found some more of those, what, the golden plates with the Mormons? I don't know. He he must have found some sort of holy grail of quarterback knowledge because now he's tutoring three of you know the top four quarterback picks. That would be uh, that was that was the two thousand seven draft, right? Yes, I, I think, think so. so. Yeah, because that was that was the that yeah. was the round that was the year the Dolphins took Ted Ginn in the first round. And we drafted so, Ted Ginn and his family. What, and a, yes. what a year. Oh, Rod, Ken, Cameron. But anyway, uh, yeah, John Beck, I, I think my favorite thing about that whole lead-up to that draft was there, there were some people saying, you know, quietly, some people around the league think John Beck could be another Drew Brees. Um, the only similarities he has with Drew Brees is they're white, they're six foot, and they both wore number nine, and it ends yeah, there. That is it. And I was appalled when I heard that comparison, and I'm thinking to myself, in what universe is this guy even remotely? So anyway, yeah, we don't let, let's let's not ruin the podcast with John back talk. And that was right but, after yeah. the Dolphins weren't able chose not to sign Drew Brees too. Mm-hmm. That was uh, yeah I mean, within a year or so. Yeah, it was within a year. Yeah, was, yeah a year later. Yeah, Dante Culpepper had already fizzled out after his you know one year in Miami. So that was a great job. Great, great, great. Um, decision by Nick Saban. So if the, if the listeners haven't gathered yet, uh, I am both an LSU alum and LSU diehard and a Dolphins fan. Uh, we can do a whole podcast on my emotions and feelings about Nick Saban and what he has done to my football fandom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's save that one for another time. Yeah. We're just, uh, I think we could, I could just walk into the Lauderdale hospitality group studios, put a mic on, put Rustin in front of it and then just, I could probably just leave the room for uh, probably like a solid two or three hours and he could just hit record and he would still be going with his thoughts on Nick Saban and LSU and the Dolphins. Speaking of the Dolphins though. Uh, it's just such a weird, it's such a weird just universe how they're all three connected and what Saban has done for both the, the the team and and the program it's just weird man it's weird and from 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 being a unique perspective as an LSU and Dolphins fan I'm sure there probably aren't that many of us uh, but it's just it's so strange because you know most people down here are LSU and Saints fans well the LSU fans here obviously can't stand Saban but on the Saints side they should be sending him still a Christmas card every year for letting Drew Brees come to New Orleans. And from my perspective, I was the one idiot around here wanting him to go to Miami, and you know the story about that, how Saban mixed that. So it, it's just a weird, weird confluence of just effects of how he's affected my fandom. It, it's, God, this is why I drink. <laughs> do they still do the... Speaking of why we drink, yeah. Do, do they still do the Saban, the effigy burning? Every, Saban scarecrow. Yeah, do they still do that? The, the what? Where they burn? Scarecrows? They burn those or still or no? 
I don't think so. I don't know. Oh. I mean, it's been a while, maybe maybe for the rest of the LSU fan base. Well, you know, I, I can't actually say that with a straight face. You know, that, that relationship will never be healed, so. Believe it or not, there's, I, I, I'm, I'm appalled at some people's thought process because, believe it or not, there are still some who, uh, and, it's, and it's some of the older faction, um, given that LSU had a, a span of, uh, between 1953 and 2003, a, or was it 58? A span of 50 years, you know, 45, 50 years between national championships. And some people still want to put a Nick Saban statue around Tiger Stadium because he brought the program back and won our first title in 50 years in 2003. And I'm just thinking, are you nuts? Who Are you crazy? This guy, Who this guy does that? everything. This guy does everything in his power to destroy LSU. Now, I don't know. I don't get it. But uh, anyway, I don't get it. I have no idea who in their right mind would want to ever do that. But yeah, let's go and solely because of 2003. But anyway, let's go into the Dolphins a little bit. I know that Alex, you. And Russ and I, I know one of are itching to talk about the Dolphins. As of yesterday, I heard that we were were thinking about trading out of the six pick. I heard you know, later last night that that wasn't true. That we were staying at six no matter what. What's the latest news with the Dolphins? The latest news is that there is no new news. It's all a smokescreen. It's Chris Greer, and he has been playing chess instead of checkers these last couple of weeks, moving from three to 12 back to six, all with the assumption that we can still get the guy that we would have taken at three at number six. And Russell, you said, this is why I drink. This is why I drink because I am petrified of what the Atlanta Falcons and the Cincinnati Bengals could do. Yeah. Who moves up? Who could move in front of us? Does Atlanta take a successor to Matt Ryan? Does Cincinnati do the smart thing and protect Joe Burrow, or do they partner him with Jamar Chase? This is what is keeping me up at night right now, because I think we both are in agreement as to who, if in a beautiful dream scenario, four quarterbacks go one through four, Cincinnati takes Panay Sewell. I think both of us are 100% in agreement as to who we're taking between Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. I mean, from, for me, it's 1A and 1B. Uh, they're, yeah. they're both phenomenal athletes. But to, just to, uh, to jump back one second, uh, I agree with everything you just said, Alex. And to tie in your point to Alex's, I mean, to, uh, to Rob's uh, opening question about what's the scuttlebutt about possibly trading down from six, I don't, I don't think you're going to see any more pre-draft moves yeah. But, let, but let's say the worst-case scenario happens and Atlanta takes Kyle Pitts at four, Cincinnati takes Jamar Chase at five, and we're stuck without either one of them at six. We have yeah, yeah. I would entertain, Then I would entertain a, I would strongly entertain a possible trade down in that scenario uh, because, you know, the wide receiver class this year is – it's it, it may be the deepest receiver class I've ever seen. And it's – and I'm not – I'm not being, uh, you know, using hyperbole there. 
it really is one of, if not the deepest classes I've ever seen. We could trade down to the 9-10 range. You know, Denver wants to jump up to take a quarterback if, if Justin Fields is available. We could trade down with them and still get, uh, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to jump all over Devontae Smith. He's a hell of a player. But my Lord, he weighed in at 166 pounds. I mean, that, I was 166 pounds in middle school. So I, I, I just, uh, I just, I, I'm not, I, I know he's a route technician. I know he's smooth as can be. Some people have comped him to Marvin Harrison, and I can see that in some of their game. But just how many sub 170 pound receivers do you know to become dominant X or Y boundary type receivers? I don't know any. I don't know any. I saw that come across yesterday where they yeah. finally got the measurements and weight on him, and I, I did have to do a double take on that. But, uh, I mean, I'm going to say, but 166 I'm pounds? I'm going to tell you one of my favorite receivers in this class that if the Dolphins do trade down, I wouldn't mind even trading down into the teams. If, we, if, 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 if Chris Greer got a phone call and said, hey, we want to jump up at six and take Justin Fields if he's there, if some team in the teams outside of New England, because you never trade inter, you know, within your division to give your division rival a quarterback, you never do that. But any any team in the teams outside of New England who would say we want to jump up and take Justin Fields or even Trey Lance, and they're going to give you, you know, a king's ransom and you pile up a more future first. If Pitts and Chase are off the board. I'm game. I'm on that boat oh, because no I'm gonna tell you the guy. Because I'm gonna tell you the guy right now. One of my favorite receivers in this class, and I'm I'm really honestly contemplating thinking taking him over Devontae Smith. Yeah, I know some people out there are screaming, "This guy's an idiot." I, I, Devontae Smith was an incredible college player. I just don't know how that weight translate. Uh, uh, can you imagine Xavier Howard pressing him on the line of scrimmage? It would it would look like a man versus a kid. So, yeah. but but if we were to, if we were to trade down in the teams and load up on first round picks, and we're still dead set on receiver, guys, Rashad Bateman, thank you, going to be an absolute star in this league. He's got every requisite it takes to be an absolute prime X go to receiver. I know he weighed sub 200 at his pro day, but that was probably to get him a little lighter on his feet to boost his speed, straight line speed. The guy is still six foot one. He ran. A, I know pro day times are uh, 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 inflated. He ran a, a four three nine. Look, you can add a couple tenths of, uh, of a second on that, and you could bumble up to four four five. I don't care. He is a route perfectionist. He may be the best route runner in this class. He he couples that route precision with really, really good athleticism and ball tracking, his, his hand-eye coordination and his ball skills are second to none. So if we wanted to still take receiver and, and fall down into the teams, if our two guys aren't there at six, I would do it and take Bateman. Uh, I, I just I love the kid. I think he's going to be an absolute star. I'd be totally on that. I'm 100%. Yeah. His game, what was it, the Ohio State game that was so close? He looked, he looked like he was pro ready right then. I would have absolutely no problem with that. And let's say, let's say we move back to say nine. Let's say Denver 
who moves up to get a quarterback, we have to go probably edge there at, at that rate and then take Bateman back at 18. Unless, unless Michael Parsons is available. Unless he's available at nine. I, I think, first of all, Parsons is going to be there at nine. I have no doubt about that. I was talking maybe Quiddy Pay from Michigan. I think he's more. I think he's more of an eighteen range guy. I think. I think if you. I think if you bump down to the nine ten range, and uh, well, I mean Dallas is ten. I don't think they would trade up. But, well, you never know with Jerry Jones. But sure, if, you, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you fall down to like a nine ten eleven range, and you want to save go to receiver for later. I would be 100% for drafting Micah Parsons. I mean, that kid is just prototypical athletic Mike linebacker. I mean, he's 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 everything you want in a, in a supreme defender. So, um, so let's I, talk let's talk dream scenario for the Dolphins okay. here. We've got four picks in what the top 50, 60 picks. 50. It's it's six, 18, 36, and 50. Okay, so we've got four of the top 50. What does that look like position-wise, regardless of you know who the guy on the board is, four biggest needs, and where are they addressed? You want my dream scenario for those four Dream scenario, crap. Do you want names or just positions? Let's go, let's go with names, but position overall. Okay, all right. Uh, that's easy. Um, at six, obviously, you know, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. At six would either be Jamar Chase 1A, Kyle Pitts 1B. 18, uh, I like Quiddy Pay at edge. Um, sleeper, I also like Aziz and uh, Ojolari. Uh, I know, I know he's, I know he's not quite as big, but he's definitely got first round talent. And Great range. Yeah, I think, I think he fits in. I think he's a perfect hand and glove fit in, in, in our defensive system. And I, and I know that, um, I know that both Greer and uh, Flo love him, Brian Flores. So, yeah, so so the playmaker at six, Quipe or Edge, you know, somebody like, I don't know, I don't know if you're a, a Greg Russo believer. You know, some people think he's too raw. Some people think that with a little refinement, he could be Jason Pierre Paul 2.0. You know, so anyway, so pass rush at 18. And 36, if he's there, no question, run to the podium, Javante Williams at running back. It's that's that that may be my biggest wish in the entire draft for the Dolphins to take Javante Williams at 36. This guy is a no nonsense runner, incredible contact balance. I mean, you know, he plays in the 215 range, and you know, he's got the contact balance of Alvin Kamara. It's incredible, and I think he would be an every down, three down back immediately in Miami. And then at 50, I think we're looking at more offensive line, whether that be a tackle, um, or, or preferably a center. Uh, you know, you got Creed Humphrey. I think Landon Nickerson will probably be gone by 50, but Creed Humphrey would be a really good area. You got Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. So that's that's my dream scenario right there. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Um, and Williams had himself a day in Hard Rock Stadium yes. against the U. So would Carter. Oh, him and, yeah, him and Carter. You could – hell, that North Carolina backfield just curb-stomped the Kings. So I would love to see either one of them 
on the roster. Williams one, Carter two. Well, the thing, the, yeah, yeah. But also, and here's the other thing, Russ. Just going back to your fourth pick in a dream scenario, the Dolphins invested three of their first four round picks in the offensive line last year. You know, when you look at Austin Jackson, uh, the kid from Robert Hunt, Robert Hunt from Lafayette, and then another fourth rounder. Yeah, that was what, Kelly what, from Georgia. Yeah, at what point do you say, so, look, I'm going to give these guys some time to develop? No, no, I agree. I agree, but the center spot is still a big question mark. And it, it even was last year. You know, they signed they signed Ted Karras from New England, and he's he's a guy, you know. He can get in the way of somebody. He's not going to dominate. I would like to see a young center come in and, and you know, be molded. Uh a guy who can call the defense and and uh, really pave the way for for the run game. I think that's I think that position really needs an upgrade. Which by the way, Karras went back to New England, so we signed. I don't even remember the guy's name. There's another free agent that they signed, and, and the guy's just a very very average middle of the road starter. And I think that position needs a serious upgrade. So I'm looking at one of those interior guys that can come in and, and push for a job right away at fifty. Wow, and speaking you... around that, yeah, around that range, though, Matt, I want to bring you in here. If you have a dream scenario for Auburn wide receiver Anthony Schwartz, where would you like to see him go? Because that seems to be where he's being mocked right now is second to third round, somewhere right around there with high upside with the speed factor being able to blow the top off the defense. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I was thinking – He's going that low. I would, I would think he'd be like at least a second rounder, not even a third rounder. I know he wasn't probably going to go first round because his college career was kind of not as I wouldn't say it would be as good as it as it could have been because he was. I don't I don't think he was utilized as well as he could have. I think everybody agrees with that. If you ever watch him play, um, I'm not. I don't know. I think uh, where, where where would you put him though? To me, me just like this: if somehow he ends up in Kansas City, I quit. I quit watching. Yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, any, I don't know. If he went to the Bucks, I mean, that'd be kind of cool, too. But, that'd be a great fit. That'd be yeah, a great I, I mean, fit. that'd be fantastic because it would uh, replace Antonio Brown. Yeah, so I, I, I think that'd be, be pretty great. good. I had, I had to pick it probably Bucks. Yeah, can you imagine him and, like, Tom Brady? That'd be nuts. One magical year. I'd like to see him in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. I think that would be a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um I also, especially now with him and Justin Herbert, you've got two guys on rookie contracts that are immediately going to make an impact. And you looked at how Air Bear really did an amazing job last year with no warning, with Tyrod Taylor getting his lung punctured by the team doctor. Is he you know, having to come in and play that overtime against Patrick Mahomes? Uh, I don't know where Tyrod is. I know he just got signed by. Oh, he's in Houston. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Which he got signed yeah, he by. Very, he very well may be starting there. Uh, he very well he may be starting. Alex, go, Alex, go pick him up. You need to go pick him up. Uh, yeah, if he's if he's on waivers, I'm taking him in the off season here. My my second round pick, Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> oh oh God, what has life come to? Yeah, Alex, you're, you're screwed. Alex, you might be the one that has to do the uh, 
No. I think my team is still Alex, good. Alex, Alex could bench his starters and still not be what we deem Slagathor, which is the last place person, because there are one or two teams in there that you would look at that and just go, how? How did they, they, do they Do they just tank, like, on purpose or what? No, just – they're just, trash. They're just trash at playing I don't the think game. You ever want to tank on purpose with these people? These people the are people, animals. The people, the, the the two the two guys with the worst rosters in our league do not value draft picks. They trade them away like they're candy. And I cannot lie, I've kind of feasted on that a little bit this off season. Well, actually, last off season, I had a plan where you know I traded a bunch of aging vets like David Johnson and Mel Gordon and and. Uh, uh, um, who was the receiver? There were a couple other ones, you know, some guys here and there. Uh, so I'm loaded in this draft. And I floated with last place last year, but that was purposeful because I wanted uh, I wanted to revamp and rebuild. And this draft is going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be a lot of moaning and groaning because I have almost every pick. <laughs> have, y'all, have y'all figured out what you're going to do after for after this season, what you guys are going to make everybody do? Not yet. Um, but the historical punishments that have been voted on by the league are epic. First year, guy had to go stand on the side of the highway in a bikini outside of a Taco Bell in Austin, Texas, with a sign that says honk because I suck at fantasy football. Then he had to do a Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition catalog, uh, calendar the next year. Um, yeah, and then the other guy had to, he had to get on a bus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, ride it all the way to St. Louis, get off the bus, purchase a bus ticket back to Baton Rouge, and yeah. ride it back down. Yeah, he he decided to leave the league. Like that was that was brutal. Uh, we've we've talked about the SATs. We've talked about having to take um, interpretive dance classes at the learning annex. That one didn't get approved just because of your cost measures, but the waffle house challenge is on right now for it's 24 spending. hours. That's just uh, the waffle house blessing. I will go and yeah, I'm not in y'all's league, but I will go and sit with whoever actually does that. And we know, and maybe just know. harass the them. Supermarket. Yeah, you would, yeah. Rob, Rob for that slagger throw would be like Peter carrying the cross for a little while just because he wants to. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, market sweep with a helmet with a GoPro on it. I would the, uh, love the other one, the other one that's pending, the other one is, that's pending is he has to go through his own personal NFL combine. He's going to have to go outside and do all the combine drills with the 40, be weighed, you know, the, the, the measured with his shirt off and his skimpies, and then we all we're all going to get on there and give him our, uh, our 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 critiques. That should be fun. Yeah, our draft. I, I, I cannot wait to see Sleepy do the three cone drill. And you know, yeah, the three cone should be hilarious. And you know what? You know he's, he's killing ball. himself. He's killing himself right now because. The more and more he waits, the hotter it's going to be outside to do these drills. I would have done that pronto and get it out the way because if he waits another month, it's going to be ninety-eight degrees outside. Oh, you could yeah. you could have some fun Welcome with this to too. You uh, you need to do it to where it's like you have the video of him doing it, and then just make a highlight reel where he's the bottom half of the screen, and then put like an actual NFL combine participant on top showing how the drill <laughs> should actually go. Oh, that's great. And compare the two of them. That one right. guy is, 
like three seconds ahead in the forty. <laughs> I will put them side by side with Rich Eisen, and let's see who wins. But I will, I will say for all the terrible things that this fantasy football league of y'all's does, uh, I've I've mentioned it before that these people are wild where I'm in, and it's one of the biggest regrets of my life, and it's haunted me ever since. I think it's a punishment for not taking up. Uh, not taking up Rustin on his offer when he offered me a chance to be in that league. These people that I'm dealing with now, it's a 32-team league, 16-team conferences, uh, two draft pools, one for each conference. They decided that they were going to do an entire NFL mock draft through Discord and hold people accountable. Not a fantasy football mock draft, just an entire NFL 2021 mock draft where they hold you accountable for making your representative team's picks. So each team is, you know, I'm, I'm the Dolphins, obviously. So you actually represent an actual NFL franchise as your team name. And these people are texting me at like 1130 at night because I've been on the clock for like two hours and haven't made a pick. I would rather sit in a Waffle House, do supermarket sweep. That one might actually make you go to jail if you do something like that or stand in a bikini on the side of the road than actually interact with these people at all. And it is my punishment for not taking Rustin up on his offer like five or six years ago or something like that. So that is my own personal hell that I have to live in. But those are those are ridiculous punishments. You all are, like I said, you all are hey, animals. Look, you, never, you never know when the next spot will open up when somebody else wimps out. You know, you never know when another spot will open up and you'll be uh, one of the first ones on the, on the replacement list. I was going to say, it'd be, it'd be really fun to have the Christian brother rivalry in our league. It'd be really fun. But uh, what I was going to say is prior to this uh, podcast, Alex and I were talking about a possibility of, you know, next week or or the week after, after the actual NFL draft doing a, a, uh, or at least partial dynasty fantasy football uh, element or segment or whole show, and I would love to be a part of that because that's my wheelhouse. I would love to talk some dynasty football draft. Once we know where everybody's landing spot is in the real draft, and we can talk about top ten sleepers, who we like, who we don't like, who's overrated, et cetera, et cetera. So if y'all want to do that, please have me on for that. Yeah, I think the listeners would love that too. Some fantasy football advice. Look at us. We sound pretty we sound pretty official right now. We've got two former NFL writers with us and it's uh I think uh, I think the quality's up. That's a shot at Bo, but uh Bo and <laughs> calling uh Nalen Stadium Nylon. Ah, <laughs> uh, Bush. Nylon Nylon Stadium. The stadium looks like it was built in seventeen seventy six when I went, but I mean it's huge. When Tennessee was good, it was super loud, so I can see why it was in top ten. We got, we say, got anything else? You want about, I was going to say you can say what you want about Tennessee football or that stadium or whatever the school. That's God's country up there in East Tennessee. Man, I love it. I love it up there so much. You know, West Arkansas is really similar. They have the similar kind of mountains and stuff, and the trees and everything. It's real similar in Fayetteville. Man, that might be uh, that might be the worst rated slogan for East Tennessee. Come to East Tennessee. It's just like West Arkansas. <laughs> every time I have some friends that grew up in Appalachia and they were like, yep, I mean, Appalachia, the smell of turpentine and blown up meth trailers for miles. 
I have ridden around on a team bus for two years through that region, and that's about what it does smell like. Fire. You sit on a mountain. You sit on a mountain in the dark, you'll see like blown up like fires all over the place. Yeah, there is a if you are a Fuck meth shit. if you are a meth enthusiast and you don't have Florida money, I highly recommend around like North Carolina, Virginia, especially Southwest Virginia, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Uh, that is if you, have the, if, you have, if you have the Florida money, come to Milton, Florida, like forty five minutes west of me. That's like one of the capitals of Florida for meth production. Oh, yeah, pretty, the, pretty scary over there. The Panhandle is a uh, is a different different animal. Who I, I always forget since you're stuck up there. What is your NFL team, Auburn Matt? I don't think I actually have one because we, I never really. Everybody here just like cheers for college teams. I mean, even if even if you never like uh, went to that school, they have all these just fans everywhere. Because the closest one is it's I'm like I think it's. Uh, New Orleans is the closest, and then it's Jacksonville, and then it's Falcons, and then it would be like Falcons and Bucks are like the same distance. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just more of a like an NFL fan, I guess. I just like watch. I like watching the individual players. I don't really have a team. Yeah, that's kind of weird living in Florida and being closer to the Saints than the than the Jags. But... Yeah, two states away. I th- yeah, I know. I think. Uh, I want to say the Jags are like an extra hour or it's, it's like, well, I don't know. It might be about the same distance, but there's a time change. So, I mean, I mean those so are, city are you actually in? I'm in the, um, I'm like in between Pensacola and Panama city. Okay. You ever go a little bit more west and go to Orange beach? Yeah, you can do that too. It's all good times. Alex, they were talking about blown up fires and the smell of meth. Should I mention Livingston Parish? Please do. Because <laughs> Livingston Parish, oh my God. If there's anybody from Louisiana listening to this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. Do tell. <laughs> Door done fucked up and explored Livingston Parish. I mean, it's it's what you'd expect. I mean, I can't, there's not really much to, you know, to, to delve into. So. Just it's it's the sticks. I mean, there's there's no real big cities in Livingston Parish, is there? It's like uh, no, Livingston is. So imagine anybody in here watched this watch the series uh, Ozark. Oh yeah, Alex. Yeah, thank you for getting me on that. Okay, so the uh, the trailer park where Ruth and and Russ and all of them live, that area. That's Livingston Parish. Okay, Being, I'll, have to, I'll have to take yeah, your word on that one. Beautiful area. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing will surprise me at all in Louisiana ever again. After, I mean, we'll do it on a future Tales from the Tailgate. But you know, the time that I got blackout drunk at like eighteen for a George Strait concert and yelled at the gas station man because he wouldn't sell me Lotto scratchers, but he would sell me a handle of Jack Daniels at like. Three in the morning, I watched a guy blow up a tree, pouring just a a canister of gasoline while he's standing in it and lighting it on fire. I didn't know trees could explode, so nothing uh, nothing will ever surprise me in the state of Louisiana. I guess they say like, I mean, there's obviously Florida man who's a national celebrity, and he is just one man. I was about to say that's really rich coming from you living in Florida. But, uh, yeah, so I think they, I think. 
Florida and Louisiana kind of walk hand in hand with that. But do we have any other uh, we have any other draft questions or draft talk? I know we kind of threw this one together. Anyone else have anything that they want to go over? No, I, I think we're going into dumb question of the week territory. Oh yeah, territory. But we still got a we still got a few things. I meant to put them towards the front, but we're we're getting did to we, it. Uh, did we talk about the NCAA rule? Did it change? Did we talk about college sports when it comes to that? That is just what I pulled up. So that is a great segue into it, and that got passed today, right? Uh, yeah, a couple hours ago. Yes, so I mean, yeah. essentially, they're saying. Uh, after I guess for the, for the second overtime, they had they're required to start two point conversions, or they're required to like teams to attempt the two point conversion. I'm not a and fan then, of any of this. And then the third and for the third overtime, it just goes straight up. They just go two point conversions to see who wins. Like, I guess just to speed up the uh, speed up the games is the reason they said it. I guess they don't want nobody wants to watch a LSU A and M. What was that twenty? Stop twenty seventeen. Stop saying that game. I know Rustin doesn't want to hear it, and I lost a lot of money on that game. So yeah, that's the only that's the only thing. But I guess the um, they're still allowed to do the for the first overtime. They're still allowed to kick a field goal. So. What's the concern here about pace of play in overtime, though? Why? Like the percentage of games that are going to go to overtime has to be what, like two percent? Probably, probably to. And this may even be a, a, a percentage or a probability kind of deal, but probably to aim at mitigating marathon games, stopping them that go into, you know, these seven, eight overtimes to reduce the chance of injury, I guess. Because, you know, obviously, the sooner you have to start going for two point conversions, the less of a chance there is to go tip the tat and, you know, tie, 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 and keep keep the game uh, elongated. So that'd be my guess. Other than that, I don't know. It just feels like change just to change. Yeah, I'm I'm never a fan of any of any rule change, and we know by the conversation we had last week regarding baseball. I think I was actually a little bit more supportive than that than both thought I would be, but I'm never a fan of rule changes at all unless it's going back to the way that it used to be. The one thing that I will say, though, is when you get into these marathon type of overtime games, your team never wins. I mean, take that LSU game as an example. Ole Miss, Arkansas have done it before. Your team never wins. So when you get into those marathon type situations, that's just the way that the world works, and it sucks for you, and you have to sit there and watch it no matter what. So maybe that's not a bad thing. I'll I'll add this little antidote uh, on the end of that. Just after that, Awful, awful ending, 74-72, where, let's face it, that was a and Super Bowl. They had cuts made with that score on it, 74-72. Um, and then Jimbo Fisher's nephew proceeds to go punch one of our assistant coaches who happens to have Parkinson's, uh, punches him in the stomach. That's that's classy, right? Oh, yeah. Tries to get in a fight, tries to get in a fight with our other coaches and things like that. they got to be separated in the tunnel and whatnot. So they're gloating, they make cups. I got to tell you, one of the most satisfying games of my life, and you and and Alex were actually with me. Uh, we were in Gatlinburg, where I think y'all had left right before it. Was the, the next year after, in 2019, they made the return trip to Death Valley and Baton Rouge, 
and that was what you call a complete ass whooping. It was fifty to seven, and that was that was. I watched every snap, and I I was hoping that they kept piling on and piling on. I wanted a hundred points. That was one of the most satisfying games I've ever seen. It was fun to watch. So they got theirs. Yeah, I am. I am not an AM AM fan at all. So anytime that anyone beats up on him. I'm very supportive of that, especially LSU. I I am such a closet. Well, I I don't. I wouldn't even say closet. I'm a pretty open LSU fan at this point, which is like sacrilege for an Ole Miss fan. But LSU is one of the one of the best times you can ever have if you ever get the chance to go to an LSU. Pretty much any event will be fun. LSU is a great time. Moving on though, well, we all we all we all kind of support each other. Because it's the whole, uh, it's the whole, the enemy of my enemy is my friend effect, right? Uh, because everybody hates that red team to the east, two states over. So, you know, we all pull for each other in some sort of way because we want to take down the great monolith, the, uh, the Death Star, the team that shall not be named. And, you know, so we all, we all pull for each other in that aspect, and it kind of brings us a little bit closer. Exactly, and to be able to get three SEC West teams in the same room and have a pretty civil conversation, sometimes that could be an accomplishment, but yeah, enemy of my enemy. Working towards... And crawfish boils. Oh, crawfish boils will yeah. fix anything. I'm down for some etouffee right now. Shit, that sounds good. Go get the recipe from Alex. We could do a podcast on Cajun recipes if y'all want. Oh. That'd be a good one. Yes. We're going to have Russell back stadium, on. Get stadium rest. I had, some, I had some duck and andouille gumbo at brunch at this Cajun joint. Um, where there's like this Cajun joint on, the, on the beach where I live. This shit was awesome. I had some andouille sausage yesterday. There was a andouille shortage in South Florida during the COVID stuff that was very detrimental to my lifestyle, and I did not like it, and sometimes I still struggle to find it, so... I might have to make cowboy isn't the same. It's like cowboy is not the same at all. I mean, but it's it's all right, but it's not. It's nowhere near as good. Yeah, nowhere, nowhere near the same. So we will definitely do some podcasts about that. We just have to find the time that works for all of us, for Rustin and Alex. Maybe, and maybe during the dead of summer when things just are kind of slowed down, that'd be a good time. Yeah, when we have nothing to talk about but baseball, I think it's just going to be Bo and I going back and forth. So that might be some great. Uh, that might be some great filler instead of, you know, watching Kansas City play Cincinnati in like a June game, in an interleague June game. That's That will probably be with, a rough podcast. With, with 12 people in the stands. Yeah. The only interesting thing will be if that uh, Kansas City mascot hits someone with a hot dog again and gets sued. But let, let, let's move on. We, we're going to wrap up things here pretty soon. We've been going on for... Uh, a little bit now. I know Bo would Bo would hate the length of this one. I'm I'm kind of enjoying myself though. Alex, you wanted to talk about the collapse of the Super League. I mean, between last week when we recorded and this week, this Super League seems to have formed, you know, been solidified and now completely fallen apart. So the Super League was going to be Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man U leaving the English. Oh, and Tottenham leaving the Premier League. Uh, Madrid, Bar- uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, AC Milan, Inter, and Juventus. That, I mean, the money behind that would have been massive. I mean, can you imagine that? No, it would have been complete insanity. International, 
insanity. And the fans of each respective league decided to riot, and rightfully so. And this, tying it back to America, you know, there was the whole thought that the Power Five conferences could break away. That's what I was and form their, form, Yeah, form their own thing in college football and demolish so many great rivalries, so many games that people, it's the one thing they go to a year. You know, they were going nuts in Burnley the other day. You know, Liverpool fans went to go support another team. Manchester United's fans broke into the practice facility to protest this. And Alvin was the first one out. Um, and, and you saw just the mass exodus from the, the founding 12 that was supposed to be 15 teams. It would have demolished every single national soccer league, even though in their mind they thought they were saving international football. No, they weren't. It was a it was a power and cash grab. That's all it was. I mean, this is cost. The people revolted. This has cost like three or four people their jobs. You know, the heads of these yeah. teams. People like, just resigning left and right. It's it's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how people thought that this was a good idea. No, it, it wasn't. And I mean, the Premier League is. I mean, the Premier League is top of the world. I don't really see the understanding and trying to leave that or what the money would be behind it compared to what you're making in the Premier League as a team. I don't I don't even know what their model is or if there's revenue sharing or anything like that, but you know, to hey, turn fellas, Sorry, hate to hate to cut you. I got to jump off. I uh, got to go do some baddie duties, but it's been an absolute pleasure. This has been a blast. I would love to be a part of this going forward especially if next week we're doing a deep dive into the draft before Thursday and then post-draft if we're going to get into some dynasty fantasy football. I'm all about that. That is my wheelhouse. So uh, i got to jump off now. Thank you all so much. I had a blast. So let me know when we're doing this again, and I'll be happy to be on. Thanks, everybody. Nice to meet you. I will. See you guys later. Have a great night, great weekend. All All right. Well, we will definitely have Rustin back. You know, sooner than later, and really any time that he wants to come on, he's a great resource to have and a lot of fun. I think all of us, everyone here, uh, including Bo, we've all hung out with Rustin quite a bit, and every time something amazing happens. So I am very much looking forward to having him back. But I, I did want to, I wanted to ask him a question. I know he had to go, so I'm going to save it for a future uh, future podcast. But I wanted to talk to him about pluckers some. So we will get that in a future week. But, yeah, I think that's about all we really had. Um, So I think, Alex, you're right. We are getting into dumb question of the week territory. Yeah, we are. And one thing before we jump into that is the evolving Justin Fields saga that we touched on a little bit earlier but didn't really dive into. Uh, News coming out that he has epilepsy and that it is something that's in his family and people have outgrown it. But week before the draft, this comes out an agenda. There's always a releasing guy. this info. There's always a guy. It, it happens every the Lar- year. The Laramie Tunsil on, on draft day. Yeah. 
you know, getting with the with the gas mask bong, which I know Pat McAfee has said it. That is one of the most incredible, you know, most incredible feats he's ever seen anybody do. And that guy's lung capacity draft him first overall. Imagine because anybody who can do that is just a monster. Just look at. What I don't understand is like. Oh, sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, just look at what is that, the butterfly effect type of thing to where if that doesn't happen, he doesn't drop to the Dolphins, and then the Dolphins don't end up getting this massive haul of picks from the Texans eventually after they trade him. I mean, it's a completely different Miami Dolphins franchise right now if that picture of Laramie Tunsil or that video or whatever. I was in Ole Miss's baseball stadium. Like, when I saw that, that was like an Ole Miss picture. And we were all there like, whoa. And then when he got drafted, I said it earlier today in in the show. Like, that was one of the happiest days of the year for me when I got to see Laramie Tunsil go to the Dolphins. But imagine if that picture didn't come out. Imagine if this – I don't really think it's going to impact Justin Fields the way that it impacted Laramie Tunsil. But every year it's something, and it's always the week of the draft. Yeah, Absolutely. And I remember breaking the news to you that we had gotten Laramie Tunsil, and I remember your reaction and just the complete roar from the crowd when you said, Dolphins got Tunsil. And everybody just, like, that is that is a draft day moment, completely stands out to me. And that leads into the dumb question of the week. What is the draft day moment? that most stands out to you as the most outing that you have seen on draft day? I think you cut out there a little bit, at least on my recording, the most what on draft day? What was that? Uh, you cut out a little bit on my side. Can can you repeat oh. it? As soon as you were getting to the heart of the question, it, it skipped. Yeah, so dumb question of the week, you know, the Laramie Tunsil gas mask breaking the story to you, that was one of the things that stands out to me most as a draft day memory for the first round, biggest draft day moments that some that stands out to you the most more than any other. I don't really think that's a dumb question. Is this a, it can be any moment or does it have to be funny or. No, it can be, it can be anything. You know, you just remembering that instant in draft history. Um, I always remember the 2005 draft pretty well. I think that was when I first really got into, you know, really a deep dive into football. I think I was 10 and I used to remember, you know, every, every pick of that first round. I think that was Alex Smith, Ronnie Brown, Braylon Edwards, um, Cedric, uh, Cadillac was four or five. Cedric Cadillac was five. Who was four? Cedric was four. Cedric, I don't think that. DeBrickershaw was later. Oh, yeah. DeBrickershaw was six, I want to say. Yeah, so that was always one. I mean, the the Lions, I think they drafted, what, three three wide receivers in a row, and I don't know if they played three years each for any of them. (laughs) Charles Rogers, Mike Williams, and Roy Williams, I think, and not that. Roy oh yeah, Williams. it was Roy. Yeah, Roy. Yeah, Roy Williams, not Mike Williams. There were no. And, there were there were two Williams. I think back to back years. I remember watching Aaron Rodgers fall. I think that was the same draft, though. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, you can say the Nashville draft was, you know, that was a party. It was weird. I didn't like it when they took it out of uh, Radio City Music Hall. So that was probably a memorable moment, like the last pick there. Um, I was there in Chicago for the first draft away from New York City. Is this one in Vegas? And that was, yes, uh, no, Vegas was last year. This year is Cleveland. Oh, God. Yeah. Because my, my original dumb question, and I'm, I'm you know what, no, I'm not going to say it because I'm saying it for next week. I mean, drafting Ted Ginn and Ted Ginn's family is like the all-timer. Uh, I remember watching with the San Francisco 49ers fan when they drafted Jeff Driscoll and him having just oh. a complete meltdown. So, I mean, <laughs> there's not one that, you know, takes precedence over it. I think there's been a lot of funny moments or memorable moments. Um, if I had to pick a misery one, it would definitely be Ted Ginn and Ted Ginn's family. And then I think Ted Ginn went on to play in like two Super Bowls after that. But as a Dolphin, absolutely worthless. I don't know. What about y'all? I think Melvin Ingram dabbing up like Roger Goodell or just like anything to do with Dave Portnoy, just like shitting on Goodell. I think he, I think he does that like uh, every year. Goodell sitting in the, sitting in his basement oh, last yeah. year. That, that was pretty memorable. Yeah. That, that's what I forgot. About. That's what I was trying to allude to that one. Didn't he and have then, like a uh, giant jug of like peanut M&Ms or something? Yep. No, like was it he, he said he said he uh he raffled that out or something just who would watch it with him and then Dave Portnoy won and then he never and then like and then he just like never talked about it again. Like Goodell just never talked about that thing again. And he's like there's like fuck it, I won. I wanna sit next to this asshole. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, he, paid, he paid what, three quarters of a million or a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, like seven hundred seven hundred fifty thousand, I think. Yeah, it was a lot three quarters of quarters it, it was a lot of money that was going to charity yeah, with the, the NFL telephone on last year and to go watch Monday Night Football in Roger Goodell's basement did not work out. Uh, Those are all great. Um, To me, I guess, you know, Matt, to your point, the celebrations, like guys jumping on Roger Goodell and doing all of that stuff. Um, But the two that stand out the most to me, one was Ricky Williams. And the Ricky Williams trade and Ditka wearing the dreadlocks with the cigar and all of that stuff. That was great. Um, The other one is the wildest moment in first round history that I think I've ever seen when the Minnesota Vikings let the clock run out. They missed their pick and other teams were running to the podium to get in front of them to go and draft people. And they ended up drafting, I think a pick or two behind where they should have in the first, in the top 10 of the first round, they couldn't get their pick in. So I, I, that is soap opera NFL. The NFL draft is a soap opera that you watch for three days. It's my favorite three days of the year. And I cannot wait until next week. Speaking of Ricky Williams, I'm glad that you brought him up. You know, former Heisman winner, former Saint, and former Dolphin, former Toronto Argonaut, I believe he was an Argonaut, and former kind of bum-around Australia kind of guy. Yesterday, uh, actually two days ago, uh, 420, probably Ricky Williams' favorite holiday. I, just, I saw this headline come up, I think it was from the Miami Herald years ago. 
but Ricky Williams blames pot for his failed drug test. Quote, I got high and forgot I wasn't supposed to get high. <laughs> Great Ricky Williams. Hey, it happens, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, the guy was a Heisman winner. Ricky Williams was badass for the Dolphins for a while. And then uh, Williams was one of the best I've ever seen. Then the Dolphins kind of owned him, like owned his life for a little bit after he walked out on that contract and came back. I think they were garnishing his wages for quite a bit. I'm in India. Big Ricky, big Ricky Williams fans around here, though. Uh, but I think that was a pretty solid question. We need to get back on some of the dumber questions. We have to come back, and especially for Russ and if he's going to be joining us. Uh, so it sounds like next week will probably be a fantasy, uh, I'm sorry, an NFL draft preview. We'll do that early on in the week, and that actually works out perfectly because I'm going to be getting out of here on Wednesday. So if we can just do a a Monday or Tuesday NFL draft preview. We will have that out definitely before uh, the Thursday start for the NFL draft round one on Thursday night. And yeah, other than that, I think that's about it. I think it was pretty successful. Um, Rustin did a solid job of holding down Bo's spot and we might have to, we might just have to up ourselves to, to five right now going forward whenever Rustin can make it right out. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Yeah. It was pretty good for me not having audio for the first 10 minutes. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, we uh we quietly cover up our issues, except for Alex uh, always uh, dropping out at least once during the call. I think he's actually been pretty Not good. this time. Not this time. Happened. It happened this time. Yeah, so. you are, you're yeah. on a two, uh, two-week streak. I think one more, and we'll call that a winning streak for you. We are about 15 minutes here from LSU – and Ole Miss first pitch of the series on a Thursday night. So I think everyone knows what I will be doing and what Rustin will be doing for the rest of the evening once Rustin takes care of his daddy stuff. And I think unless there's anything else, you all have anything else, I think we can wrap up here. Yeah, I think we're good. Uh, UFC's in Jacksonville this weekend. I don't know if you all saw the uh, press conference. They had Ron DeSantis on there. And then they had uh like he was like you know like our governor he was he was there and then they had the mayor of Jacksonville and Dana White the president of the UFC just going like they have a full I think it's the the first full occupancy for professional sporting events is this weekend and so oh, that's pretty uh, pretty good milestone for sports um, they got the what was it Miami's finest Jorge Masvidal's fighting uh, Kamaru Usman for the welterweight belt. So it'd be pretty good. And they got, they got like two other, they have a, they have a couple other good fights coming. So I'm going to be there this weekend in Jacksonville and then, uh, watch some two people like try to kill each other and then, uh, drink a shit ton of alcohol. Sounds like a perfect, perfect weekend for me anyway. Oh, there you go. Well, congrats on being able to see that first full sporting event. I, I, I know, uh, I know you were talking about it. I didn't know you're actually going to pull that. You actually pulled the trigger. And we're going, but that'll that'll definitely be fun. Was I, I hope DeSantis is just there pounding beers, or at least I hope during the press conference he was pounding beers or something like that. I love uh, he's great. No, he was, no, guy. not not like the Super Bowl, and not like uh, what is it when we had that that video of him outside with everybody. But he was saying that you know everybody come to Florida if you want to watch some fucking sports. So he, didn't, he obviously didn't say the f word, but you know you know what I mean. <laughs> so I think we can. We can end it there. That's a great way to end it. Come to Florida if you want to watch some fucking sports. That's a great way to wrap up, and I think we will we'll end here, and we will talk to you all next week. Bye, everyone.